Cultivating Place is made possible in part through the generosity of the Caddo Shaw Foundation. Cultivating Place is also made possible through support from the Garden Conservancy. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. Welcome, June. This week, the third and final for now conversation in our series on the state of seed for native ecosystem restoration through the lens of California. Seed identified, site-sourced, and grown for conservation and biodiversity support including for those important habitats known as our gardens. The foundational level of seed for scales large and small and how it grows on from there is top of mind at the Theodore Payne Foundation in Southern California, an historic conservation icon in their region. I'm joined today in conversation with Executive Director Evan Myers, Seed and Bulb Program Manager Genevieve Arnold, and horticulturalist and California native plant landscaper certificate instructor Alejandro Lemus about the radical range of the Theodore Payne Foundation as it grows us from seed into the future. I am so pleased to welcome each of you to Cultivating Place, Evan, Jenny, and Alejandro. Thanks so much for having us. It's really an honor to be here. Uh, Thank you so much, Jennifer, for having us. Yes, thank you, Jennifer. It's great to be here. To get us started, I I have introduced you by name only. I would love to ask each of you to introduce yourself. Tell listeners a little bit more about your, your titles and your roles at Theodore Payne. Let's start with you, Evan. Well, I'm the executive director, which kind of means that I get to do a little bit of everything and just work with an amazing team of people. Um, I came to Theodore Payne with a deep interest in native plants. I actually grew up in, in Massachusetts in the woods, basically. And so native plants were always surrounding me. And to, to have the opportunity to bring those plants into the urban environment here in Southern California is just an honor. And it's amazing to get to work with people like Jenny and Alejandro and the rest of the team and the whole community here at Theodore Payne and the native plant movement in general, which is really becoming a force to be reckoned with right now. So it's, it's an exciting time and I'm honored to, uh, to get to spend all day trying to get people to rethink how they garden. All right, great. So let's move to you, Genevieve. First, tell us your title there at the Theodore Payne Foundation, and then tell us very generally what brought you to the garden in your life. Thank you. Um, I am the seed program manager here at the Theodore Payne Foundation. And um, like Evan, I feel that it's an honor to be here and to be working in this community um, for this purpose. I grew up spending a lot of time outdoors and always loved being in nature. But it wasn't until uh, later uh, in my early adulthood that I really started getting into native plants on a deeper level. And so over time, I've ended up working with California native plants for over 20 years in different capacities and the central focus being with um, seeds and seed conservation. That is uh, wonderful. And let's move to you, Alejandro. Tell us the same kind of information, your your specific title there at Theodore Payne, but then a little bit more about you 
personally and what brought you to the garden? Yeah, my name is Alejandro, and I work as the horticulturist at Theodore Payne Foundation. Uh, what that means is a little bit of everything. I uh, dabble a little bit in seed sowing, maintaining production records from our production nursery, making sure that our sales yard is well stocked throughout the year. And I also get to teach classes for our foundation's education department, uh, tailored to the home gardener, interested in learning more about native plant gardening, and more recently helping with our professional education offerings, um, such as the California Native Plant Landscaper Certification Program. Um, but what brought me to the garden, how I found, ended up in the garden in my life, um, I would say it was definitely due to my parents. Uh, I grew up as a gardener. Both my parents are still gardeners. Um, so I grew up outdoors, essentially. I was always out in the garden as a child, uh, weeding weeds, getting pricked in my thumbs by rose thorns, you know, very, <laughs> very fun times. But I was always outdoor oriented, always out in the garden and just fell in love with California native plants when I discovered that it could be a career and you could work with this. And um you know, so before coming to Theodore Payne, I did a couple of years working in habitat restoration, just falling in love with coastal sage scrub plants and eventually um, was interested in learning how we could use native plants to create habitats in our own very, uh, very own pockets of space. Let that be, you know, a front yard, a backyard, a, an, a balcony with potted container plants. I was just very um, enamored with Theodore Payne Foundation's mission of, you know, promoting and educating people on the beauty of California native plants. So I am here today because of that. That's great. Thank you. You know, we've, we've now introduced each of you and we have used the name Theodore Payne and Theodore Payne Foundation. Evan, I'm going to turn back to you and ask you to give us a lot more sort of meat around who this person was, the history and the mission. Well, we're named for Theodore Payne, who was an English uh, gentleman who came over to Southern California in the late 1800s. And he basically came to be a horticulturalist. He, he had trained at nurseries in the UK. And he came in to the Los Angeles area in a very different time. You know, this was the kind of the height of development and boom in LA. And people were extirpating massive areas of wildlands at that time and and paving over the wildflowers, so to speak. And over the course of his career, he recognized that the horticulture industry was kind of taking this amazing natural environment of Southern California and importing all these plants from other parts of the world. And he's kind of thought that's crazy. Why, why, why is that happening? So he worked very hard to introduce native plants into the ornamental horticulture trade, bringing over 400 plants into uh, commercial production, 400 different types of plants. So yeah, he was a very kind of visionary at that time to, to realize that was happening. And he passed away in 1963. The foundation started in 1960 to carry on his legacy. So for the last uh, 60 plus years, we've been basically just trying to bring native plants into the gardens of Southern California. Uh, for many reasons, but but primarily to kind of restore an ecological balance in our in our part of the world, which is a biodiversity hotspot, to save water, and to reconnect us to the land, to um, the relationships between people and plants, which have existed for thousands of years before colonization. And as an organization, we we're, we take a very multi pronged approach to that. So 
I would say we're best known for our horticultural offerings, um, in particular our nursery. We have a, a retail a retail nursery here uh, on our site in, in the Sun Valley neighborhood of LA, where we sell uh, well over 100,000 plants a year. We have a, a large seed um, production uh, and, and seed retail business that Jenny will, will talk much more about. Uh, we also offer all kinds of books and products and things to kind of get people to engage with this style of gardening and this idea yeah. of, of native plant gardening. So we're known very well for that retail side, but we also have this huge outreach education and advocacy component to our work. So there's well over like a hundred public classes for the general public, um, for home gardeners to just teach them the basics of gardening with native plants. Um, as Alejandro will, will talk in more detail, we've really been pivoting towards the professional landscape industry recently and mm -hmm. education, because um, we see that there's this massive need here in Southern California during a time of drought, during a time of uh, extinction and loss of biodiversity to bring all those things back into our cities. And that's going to require uh, a, a very skilled workforce. Um, and so we do a lot of work with that, as Alejandro will get to in a minute. And then the, I'd say the the overarching kind of theme of all the work is to try to make it as fun and interesting and artistic and beautiful and kind of easy to connect with as we can. So we're always thinking from that perspective of like, what's going to spread this message with joy, with community, with solidarity um, towards yeah. our fellow gardeners and, and just bringing people together to, um, to do a collective act of restoring natural environments through gardens. Yeah. It's a really important thing. And we see a lot of progress, especially the last few years since the pandemic, there's been this real drive to reconnect and to re-engage with the natural world. And um, it's, it's inspiring and it's gives you hope in this kind of moment that we're living through right now. It gives me a lot of hope and it gives me a lot of hope to see you know, basically a historic and legacy foundation like you are heading up right now, making such innovations and adaptations to meet our horticultural moment even more specifically than it has in the past. And it, it has always been about that. Walk listeners through, there's the retail nursery, you have a propagation nursery, you have demonstration gardens, you have this local source initiative, which kind of feeds into both the plants available in the nursery, the plants being propagated for restoration work and for the nursery, and in the seed program. Can you talk a little bit about that local source initiative? The local source initiative is something that is really inspiring to me. It started before my tenure um, as executive director and Jenny had a lot to do with creating this program, but it essentially allows home gardeners to buy plants that come from a very specific place. And so we track the provenance of plants within our nursery. So we'll go and we'll collect some uh, seeds, you know, say they're like acorns from an oak tree in the Santa Monica mountains. And we'll track that through the whole nursery production. And when the plant is ready for sale in the nursery, you'll go to buy a, a coast live oak, for instance, and it'll actually say, this is grown from an acorn collected in the Santa Monica mountains. Mm. And that to me is a very important and beautiful thing because it gives 
home gardeners the ability to engage in conservation in a very real and embodied way. They're actually putting a plant in the ground. It's a very tangible way of engaging with restoring the environment. You're actually yeah, right. taking a tree that should have been there and would have been there and was over the course of the last hundred years, uh, those habitats were severely impacted by development and you're amplifying and multiplying what was once there and bringing it back. So that to me is, you know, that type of innovation and, and promoting that and just raising the consciousness of gardeners to think of their piece of land as this very important, uh, almost sacred place that these choices can, um, can have huge benefit to, to the environment and, and giving the most possible options to, to garden in the most responsible way possible is, is sort of the, the goal of that program, I would say. Yeah. And I think most gardeners I know, they want to know more and they want to do more and they want to feel like what they're doing is a contribution. And so that act of not only planting a native oak, but knowing the diversity the genetic biodiversity of that plant and making sure that it is the genetic biodiversity that should have been from that place, it, it really fine tunes this language of native plant and what we mean by native, native to exactly where, native to this community. It's knowing that you were planting comes with genetics that were also adapted to that exact place, not one that would have come from, you know, 250 miles north or, through, you know, I don't know, 800 miles north in, in the state of California. We have a lot of range of what we might call, you know, a native live oak or a, a native black oak or valley oak. So this kind of honing in is the kind of education I think most most listeners really do want to understand and to work with uh, conversantly. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that we try to create educational opportunities that will allow home gardeners to participate in things like producing plants and growing their own plants and saving their own seeds and um, yeah, you know, being part of that cycle and not not necessarily even needing to needing to rely on buying plants from a nursery, but we're really about just encouraging people to spend time with plants, to think about it deeply, to, to do it all with kind of a constant interest and openness and, and wonder and just sort of a sense of we can do something here. We can actually mm -hmm. restore the environment. We can bring local habitats back. Um, and just to kind of finish up on the point that I brought up earlier you know, as conservationists and environmentalists, you know, there's sort of this idea that it's happening, you know, the, the rainforests are far away and they're, they're getting cut down and that's sad, but, you know, we're here in Southern California and that's far away. And so maybe we'll send a check to a, you know, an NGO, but that's about it. And we want to push back and say, no, this land here matters too. And just because we're in a city doesn't mean we can't plant an oak tree in it. And, you can participate in conservation anywhere. If you have a yard, you can do it there. Um, if you have a balcony, as Alejandro mentioned, you can bring some native plants onto the balcony and you'll attract hummingbirds and create a habitat there. You can volunteer for local restoration efforts, work at uh, parks. There's many kind of community gardens that are popping up all around LA with native plants. So 
it's really just about that engagement uh, and giving people yeah. the option to to connect with what's around them. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. We're in our third and final for now conversation on the state of seed for native ecosystem restoration, including the all-important home garden ecosystems through the lens of California and seed, identified, site-sourced, and grown for conservation and biodiversity support. We'll be back for more about all of this with Evan Meyer, Genevieve Arnold, and Alejandro Lemus of the Theodore Payne Foundation. Stay with us. Cultivating Place is made possible in part by the Caddo Shaw Foundation. The Caddo Shaw Foundation funds initiatives that empower women and help preserve the planet through the intersection of environmental advocacy, social justice, and creativity. Cultivating Place is also made possible through support from the Garden Conservancy, a not-for-profit organization whose mission is to preserve, share, and celebrate gardens and America's gardening traditions. Join the Conservancy for a recording of its latest pop-up webinar, Connecticut Gardens, a celebration of the state's historic public and private gardens. The program, hosted by award-winning photographer Karen B. Davis, is based on her book by the same name. The webinar takes you on a journey through the Constitution State's enchanting gardens, exploring their rich histories and intriguing designs through breathtaking images from her book. The recorded webinar is $5 for Garden Conservancy members and $15 for non-members. For more information and all details about becoming a member or viewing the recorded webinar, please visit gardenconservancy.org for all of this. Happy June to all of you in your glorious June gardens. We're back now to our conversation with members of the Theodore Payne Foundation. We've heard from Executive Director Evan Meyer about the history and mission of TPF. And as we come back, we'll move to hearing more about the Seed and Bulb program from manager Genevieve Arnold. But before we leave you, Evan, tell listeners just a little bit, like you have been at this work for a long time. Tell people a a little bit about your professional arc before you came to Theodore Payne and then remind me how long you have been there now. Well, as I mentioned, I grew up in Western Massachusetts and was really lucky to, to be growing up basically in the woods and the sugar maple forests. And I, I I grew up making Mm -hmm. maple syrup with my dad and we had blueberries and grew a huge vegetable garden. And then my grandfather was a big gardener. Uh, he lived outside of New York City and he had a little backyard garden of ornamentals. And then it, it, in the community uh, garden, he had a big vegetable garden. So I got to grow up with plants. And my first job out of college was uh, working for a professor who was studying restoration ecology in California. So I got to spend a summer in Sonoma County in my early 20s. And that's where I started to really learn like Latin names and delve deep into botany. Um, 
then I headed back to the East Coast and worked at what was then called the New England Wildflower Society. Now it's called the Native Plant Trust, which is a yeah. beautiful native plant um, garden and conservation organization. It's got a lot of parallels to Theodore Payne Foundation, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Outside of Boston, went from there to Harvard University to the Arnold Arboretum, which is all about ornamental trees. Uh, and um, from there to the Har- Harvard Herbarium. And luckily in that position, I was working with California native plants because they have this huge collection of pressed specimens of these uh, earliest collections from California. Many of them are housed there. So I got to spend a year working with that. Then to California Botanic Garden, where I um, shared a a workspace with Jenny. Jenny and I worked in the same uh, department, not at the same time, but we both worked for the seed program at California Botanic Garden. Mm Then to UCLA, where I worked as the assistant director of the Mildred Mathias Botanical Garden, which was a wonderful experience. And then finally to uh, to Theodore Payne. Uh, and I started in February of 2020. So yeah. it's, it's been a bit, bit of a harrowing uh, first year <laughs> with the pandemic. But um, uh, Baptism by fire. Good job. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, yeah. honestly, I wouldn't trade it for anything. It was, it was mm. one of the craziest, most stressful things of of my life for sure. But I also got to be, you know, right in the center of this burgeoning kind of interest in gardening and this movement towards a deeper reflection within the horticulture world um, on what it means to be a gardener. So it's been crazy and, and uh, you know, sometimes chaotic and uh, definitely, uh, (laughs) definitely had some sleepless nights, but it's also been amazing and inspiring and, and just the people that I've gotten to know in the last three years uh, has really been incredible. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. Thank you so much. And Genevieve, let's move to you. Evan already gave a, a little nod to the length of time you've been there and the kinds of work you are engaged in at Theodore Payne, but maybe uh Remind people of your title there, and then maybe start with the work that you did prior to coming to Theodore Payne, and then we'll get into the history and scope of the the Seed and Bull program. Yeah, so I am the Seed Program Manager here at the Theodore Payne Foundation, and I had a little bit of a roundabout way of coming to this point. Well, I've been here 12 years. So, you know, I was a a humanities major. I had an English major. And after I graduated from college, I experimented with different potential career paths. I uh, started some classes for early childhood education. I thought about being an entrepreneur and opening an independent bookstore Writing has always been an underpinning of of what I do in my life, but I thought very seriously for a while about pursuing that exclusively. Mm. And so nothing felt quite right to me. And when I realized that plants and native plants were where I was supposed to be, my life completely changed. And Every day has been just a gift and an adventure and so much learning every day since that time. So I, you know, I ended up working at, as Evan mentioned, at the California Botanic Garden um, 
around 2000. And I started out being an event planner there. <laughs> mm. And over time, I was offered some opportunities to work in their herbarium, databasing uh, herbarium specimens, and in their research nursery, caring for research plant collections, where I learned about propagation and uh, greenhouse uh, management a little bit. And then I got an opportunity to work in the conservation seed program at California Botanic Garden. And my mentor there was mm. Michael Wall. And as soon as I set foot into that laboratory, I thought, okay, this feels really good to me. And so, you know, this path <laughs> kind of chose me or, you know, I, I, I was fortunate in the way things panned out, um, but I just, you know, never looked back and, and uh, just was so thrilled yeah. to, to be in this field. And in that seed program, you know, we uh, processed and stored seed for long-term conservation for California flora. And I worked with processing seed, collecting seed in the field, conducting germination tests, propagating that seed out in the nursery. So then I had the opportunity to be here at the Theodore Payne Foundation starting in 2010. And it has been so incredible to be here. And a lot just kind of opened up when I got here. Um, like Alejandro, our seed program, we are active in our education program, teaching classes. Um, our seed program technician, Laura Breidenthal, teaches uh, seed and vegetative cutting propagation classes. I teach classes in seed sowing, uh, talking about wildflowers, mm -hmm. and then about seed collection and processing. So before we get deeper into the full scope of a very complex and beautifully complex seed and bulb program, tell us about its history. When did it get started and what is its mission as a seed program specifically, Genevieve? Yeah, so the seed program was built on the work that Theodore Payne started around the turn of the century when he came to California and noticed um, even back then that the natural habitats and the natural pre-existing flora were um, fading and disappearing. And so he made it his work to go out and collect seed, small amounts of seed of these species and grow them out and then offer the plants and the second generation seed to the public. So in 1962, actually, much later in life, he connected with a person named Ed Peterson. And Ed Peterson was a Hollywood local, a botanist, a UCLA graduate, and then they collaborated and um, Ed Peterson helped Theodore and was really the driver in starting a formal seed collection program at TPF. Mm. And since then, yeah. there have been um, a few very skilled, knowledgeable, gifted people um, that have built out this program before me. And so any work that I have done here is very much built on all the work and all the innovation and all the, um, you know, conservation-driven work that came before me. So today, what I like to think of the SEED program is a multi-branched or multi-pronged program 
So as Evan mm -hmm. mentioned, we uh, have our seed offerings through our retail, our nonprofit retail um, store, and we do have our brick and mortar store and an online store. And that gives us the wonderful opportunity to offer seed to the public. Um, they come in, they buy seed, they order seed, um, and it all goes back to supporting the work to help continue building out these habitats and preserve these species, these native California plant mm -hmm. species. And then another branch is to provide seed to our propagation department. And so we collect seed under permit, both in natural areas. And then we work with people who have private gardens who donate seed. And we collect seed here on our beautiful site uh, with its demonstration gardens and natural area here in Sun Valley. And so we provide that seed to our propagation department so they can grow the plants that are then offered in the nursery. And then another prong is our conservation area. And so that is where we partner and we collaborate with land landowners and land managers to collect small amounts, amounts of seed, uh, wild sourced seed. And so some of that seed is um, propagated here and offered for the public in their home gardens for restoration projects. Mm -hmm. And then some of it goes long-term into our conservation storage, our long-term conservation freezer. What comes to mind is it's, it's a seed bank. You have a seed bank. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So when you are talking about the conservation seed storage and seed banking, what are your what is your criteria and what are your goals and where does that seed, you know, who are the collaborators with you uh, there at Theodore Payne in terms of seed banking, the biodiversity of Southern California and beyond? So one of the things our seed bank does is it helps build genetic diversity uh, within the plant, within the environment, in the urban environment. And so our collaborators, in part, are the land managers and landowners with whom we enter agreement to collect uh, small amounts of seed from the lands they manage. And so they know that part of that seed will be used to propagate plants that will then go back into the ground, out into the urban environment and build that strong habitat, um, rebuild that habitat, enhance the habitat, mm -hmm. provide habitat connectivity in a city that's, you know, like a patchwork of natural spaces. And then the seed that's in our long-term conservation seed bank is there stored in perpetuity for those landowners should they need it for restoration or research. Ah, um, and they can access that seed. And we also work with other uh, environmental organizations and nonprofits here in LA. And we work with them to provide seed and grow out plants for larger scale uh, urban restoration projects. Um, mm -hmm. Right now, we have a couple things with the LA River for which we will be providing locally sourced plants. And so in my mind, one of the goals of our seed bank, even we do have multi-pronged goals, is to get plants back out into the ground and not just in the long-term mm -hmm. freezer. And that is mm -hmm. one of the things that's really 
unique and special to me about our seed bank, that and our um, the collaborative nature of it. Mm-hmm. And one of the most thrilling parts, and it's a model that, uh, you know, communities, indigenous communities around the world have been doing for a long time to, um, in the context mm-hmm. of continuing uh, wild heritage food, right? And so mm-hmm. that is sort of the model that I, you know, went by on this. And also, I really love the collaboration is very, very important to me, the community. And when we say seed, we're talking about seeds and bulbs uh, as as a part of, um, you know, different ways of propagating and different propagules. Am I right when I say that? Well, you are, but I will say that the bulb program is yet another program, another great. Prong, yeah, another tell us about that of our tree here at Theodore Payne Foundation. And for that program, I would like to note that Tim Becker, our director of horticulture, is really the driver and the leader on that program. And so for that, we actually have a different storage technique, which is our a structure where we house the bulbs, and the bulbs are stored um, over time in deep boxes in soil because they go dormant um, in the warm season. And so they they go dormant there in the soil and then they come back during the cool season when we begin to give them water again. So a bulb is what's considered, it would be considered recalcitrant. And what that means is it's a a propagule that cannot be stored long-term in cold storage. And um, so you have to use these other methods to keep Keep that lineage going uh, over time. Great. As you look ahead and as you look at the importance um, and, and the dynamic balance you all have going there in your particular seed program, in your ability to collect, to store for long-term, to store for short-term, and then to grow out and get the actual plants out into the world, uh, which is clearly um, highly valued by all of you. What are your goals for the seed program in the next five, 10 years, Jenny, in terms of, I don't know, expanding species, expanding uh, education, expanding staff? I'm not sure. So probably my foremost goal and priority is to increase the number of species and the number of seed accessions. And an accession is just a seed collection that we are storing. Uh, as you're aware, wildfire frequency has is just um, becoming <laughs> more of, of a, an emergency here in our region. And so every time there's a fire, my, head, my mind goes to, okay, did I store some seed from that area? Yes, I did. No, maybe I didn't. So what I'd like to do is just continue the um, focus on getting out there, getting these seeds into storage so that they are secure for the long term and that Mm -hmm. these different habitats are represented in our seed bank so that we know we can always grow out those plants for restoration if and when it is needed. So one priority would be to continue expanding um, our efforts on uh, local source seed collection and conservation. Um, 
Another goal that I have has to do with community. Um, this past year, uh, Evan and I had the chance to sort of partner on a project involving White Sage. And that is a project where we're partnering with indigenous uh, First Nations community partners here in the region. And it's uh, twofold. We are collecting wild source seed um, in agreement with those land managers. And so we're storing uh, portions of that seed in the long-term conservation seed bank um, because also uh, the harvesting of white sage is uh, over, it's being over harvested these days. Mm -hmm. And so that is threatening those plant populations. And then uh, also growing out these locally sourced white sage plants to, um, so that our First Nations partners in this project can do with them as they choose uh, for their communities. Nice. And I'm really excited about that project and I would love to see more of seed sharing, uh, community building, community connecting. Um, I don't know exactly all the ways that's gonna look specifically going forward, but I'm hoping that that was the first of many projects that connect, that through seeds connect communities and plants and the environment around us. Beautiful. Now, one question that I, I don't know that I, I asked Evan or he stated specifically, but maybe you can um, give us some clarity around this. Theodore Payne is collecting seeds and selling plants specifically to the Southern California region. What are your boundaries? Like when you're thinking about the fires going across our state, at what point do you say that's sort of beyond my territory in, in the floristic province, Jenny? Well, I'm glad you asked me that because it brings me to a um, portion of the seed program that I haven't mentioned, and that is our work with, with rare species. Um, we are a partner on the California Plant Rescue Collaboration, and mm -hmm. I will add that Evan was one of the originators and uh, founders of that collaboration. And that is a group um, statewide of uh, environmental nonprofits who work together to collect seeds of rare and endangered species so that those um, species can be safely seed banked uh, to help mitigate the potential of extinction uh, mm -hmm. in so many words. And so we actually, uh, work of further fields in the state. We've done quite a bit of work in Tulare County. So I don't feel that there's a specific geographical boundary um, to our work, but I do think that we are very focused regionally. Um, mm -hmm. And then we have sort of special projects like the work with the California Plant Rescue that take us a little further afield within the state. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. The Theodore Payne Foundation is an historic conservation organization whose mission is to inspire and educate Southern Californians about the beauty and ecological benefits of California native plant landscapes. We'll be back for more about TPF, as it is fondly known, with Executive Director Evan Myers, Seed and Bulb Program Manager Jennifer. Eve Arnold and horticulturalist Alejandro Lemus. Stay with us.
Hey, it's Jennifer again, and now for your summer listening pleasure as you head to the beach, the cabin, the backyard, I figure if you're a fan of this podcast, you will likely enjoy other podcasts as well. Which are your favorite garden or nature or flower podcasts? I want to give a couple of shout outs to some new and interesting podcasts also focused on this growing world of ours, including the Why Women Grow podcast with a great recent episode with previous Cultivating Place guest Claire Rattanon. I think it's a great conversation and you're going to love it. Also, a little closer to my home, have you checked out Pacific Horticulture's Garden Futurist podcast? There's a great new episode in conversation with Steve Buckman about his newest book, What a Bee Knows, exploring the thoughts, memories, and personalities of bees, which sounds perfect as we head towards National Pollinator Week in June. And finally, the Theodore Payne Foundation also has its own podcast, The Elements of a Garden. This is a short term limit kind of podcast, which centers around the foundation's 50th anniversary of their phenomenal native plant garden tour. The podcast looks at gardens on the 2023 tour and celebrates the hidden meaning within our gardens, how each element, water, earth, air, fire, and the fifth and important element of heart, is nested within something larger, a seed, a plant, a garden, an ecosystem. In each episode, UCLA climate scientist and native plant gardener Dr. Alex Hall and TPF executive director Evan Meyer explore a rich single garden within the deeper context of environmental and cultural forces shaping our changing planet. There are so many other good podcasts, too. Longtime favorites from Margaret Roach's Away to Garden and In Defense of Plants, as well as The Joe Gardner Show with Joe Lample, and of course, For Houseplant Lovers, On the Ledge with Jane Perrone, and Growing Joy, which used to be Bloom and Grow with Maria Faella all ranking up there for me. And of course, for your summer flower fun, there's several great flower podcasts, including, of course, the Slow Flowers podcast, helping you get ready for the upcoming Slow Flowers Summit in late June. I would love to hear from you about your favorite growing podcasts for this summer's sounds, new and old. There are so many now. It is super hard for me to keep up with them all. Do you feel that way? Add your suggestions to this week's post on Instagram, where you should be following me, at cultivating underscore place. I would love to get all your podcast recommendations. I will see and hear you there.
We're back now to our conversation with members of the Theodore Payne Foundation, whose mission is to inspire and educate about the beauty and ecological benefits of California native plant landscapes. Having already heard from Executive Director Evan Meyer and Seed and Bulb Program Manager Genevieve Arnold, in our final segment, we hear as well from horticulturalist and California native plant landscaper certificate instructor. Alejandro Lemus. At Theodore Payne Foundation, I work as the horticulturist. So dabbing with many things, you know, I work in propagation. I get to work in the sales yard sometimes, especially during our busy sale period. So get to experience it all. But before coming to Theodore Payne, um, you know, as I mentioned, both my parents are gardeners. They still are gardeners. I'm slowly, slowly getting them mm. to work more with native plants. But yeah, my entire upbringing was in the garden, not necessarily the outdoors. I grew up in the inner city of uh, South Central Los Angeles, so not a lot of green space, uh, what people would call a food desert, not very green, um, paved with asphalt, um, not not a natural place by any means, though I would beg to differ now, now that I know about native plants and the history of the area. But yeah, yeah. Um, Grew up with my parents working in their landscaping routes every day. When I had a day off from school, I would work with them or, you know, they'd pick me up late from school sometimes because they were always working so hard. So, yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> yeah. that was my upbringing. And I'm very grateful for it. You know, I, I look back on it very fondly and it's, I find it very interesting how I've come back full circle to plants. But it always was it wasn't always like that. When it was time for me to go to college, I was thinking about what I wanted to do. And, you know, I knew I always liked science. I was good at it in school. I really liked helping uh, my friends understand it. I really liked communicating science to people, making it accessible to folks. Mm -hmm. And that was one thing I was just always really fond of, but never really built on that skill. You know, I, I, it was something I really liked to do, but when I came to college and I started to think about what I, what I wanted to do, you know, I'm a first generation, um, Mexican-American here. Both my parents are immigrants from Mexico. So I don't know. I think it's just something in my culture. Like, you know, you see that your parents struggled so much and um, they want you to have a good job. They want you to get that office job. So when I first, I went to UCLA and I decided to study biology. And when you're in that track, everyone wants to go to medical school or they want to do something healthcare related. And, you know, as a good, uh, as a good Mexican boy, I, I said to my parents, I'm going to be a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> and oh boy did I surprise them uh, <laughs> yeah so I but at UCLA I took a very special class um, I took an ecological restoration class towards the end of my time there that I think really changed everything for me you know after going through you know the struggles of your the lower division chemistry biology physics classes it was really nice to to take a class about ecological restoration. I had no idea what it was. I knew it was plant related or nature related or something like that, but it just really caught my attention and I just wanted to take it and I wanted to learn what it was about. You know, we talked about California native plants. We went out to uh, a small Creek that's on UCLA campus, uh, Stone Canyon Creek. Uh, by the UCLA Lab School, which has since been, most of it has been paved over by the construction of the campus, but we're very lucky to still have, you know, a remnant of, you know, the natural riparian ecosystem that exists there on campus. So it was really there that I started to learn more about what it means to learn about native plants. What is, what is native plant 
restoration? What is habitat restoration? What other organizations are doing to to work in this field or how they're they're contributing to, you know, increasing biodiversity and restoring habitats and what Jenny described as like a patchwork of habitats in Los Angeles, you know, the, the natural space is there, but it's extremely fragmented. So I'm very thankful that I was able to take that class because I I just was my interest was peaked. I wanted to learn more. So after graduating, I went on to work for um, the Palos Verdes Peninsula Land Conservancy, which is a nonprofit land trust out in the Palos Verdes Peninsula in the South Bay region. And I worked there for a couple of years doing habitat restoration and just fell in love with the hard work, hard and man, hard work, manual mm-hmm. labor of, you know, planting thousands of plants out in rugged fields, um, my first week, I just, uh, I always joke around with people, but the first week I worked there I, with the team, we we had to plant 15 gallon um, Opuntia plants, you know, the oh, cactus wow. just, oh, just wow. uh, yeah, lugging them, uh, getting them up the hills. I'm like, wow, I really am rethinking this, you know, <laughs> you know, had me reassessing a couple of things, but I, I just fell in love with it. I really loved weed whacking fields and uh, preparing sites for restoration. And as Jenny mentioned, uh, doing a lot of seed collection, getting to work in the native plant nursery, just really getting a feel for what habitat restoration was and, you know, what the work entails. So I just, I, I just fell in love with native plants and I just, I wanted to bring that information back to my family because, you know, they're gardeners, I'm a gardener. It just, there was, I just sensed that there was a connection there, you know, that, yeah, mm-hmm. like I'm over here yeah. planting plants in this natural environment and I grew up as a gardener. What if you could plant these plants in, in people's gardens, in your front yard? It just, there was a connection there that I, I needed to learn more about. So, I mean, you couldn't have landed at a better place with this new love and this love of hard work, because we know it's hard work and you're never going to make a ton of money, but you're going to, you're going to make a good life. And so how do you get to Theodore Payne? Alejandro? Yes, Theodore Payne. Um, the pandemic came around and I needed a job. <laughs> no, but seriously, I just, I, I had. I had visited Theodore Payne a couple of times before working here. Um, there was one plant that I was looking for that I wanted to plant in my family's yard, hummingbird sage or salvia spathacea. And back then in 2019, when I first visited, it wasn't out of stock all the time. So <laughs> I was able to procure a hummingbird sage and, you know, I brought my family here. We just fell in love with the space. Um, and more than anything, I just fell in love with the mission, you know, it's to inspire and educate mm-hmm. Southern Californians on the beauty and ecological benefits that native plants could bring. And I just, that's what I've been looking for. You know, how do you bridge together um, the conservation work I had been doing, the habitat restoration work, and how do you make that accessible to, you know, the, the everyday gardener or someone who's wanting to learn more about this as, you know, as we've been seeing with the pandemic in 2020, you know, we just saw this, people wanting to learn more about gardening, especially with native plants to create pockets of habitat in their very own spaces. So that more than anything, that's what drove me. And especially the fact that education uh, was a big part of the mission here. You know, in in college, I was a peer learning facilitator. So I worked with, you know, my fellow peers, undergraduate students to, to help them learn, you know, and succeed in their, their life science classes and just, um, meeting them halfway or um, not really being this top to bottom learning approach, really knowing how to 
make information much more accessible to people. And that's what I was really uh, passionate about with native plants. How do you, how do you make this information accessible to, to landscapers, to um, anyone wanting to learn more about this? Because it, it can seem very scientific, very technical. And, you know, not to say that's a bad thing. I think it's a great thing, but you know, how, how can we get people to take that step and learn more about their, where they where they live, what what the space, uh, what space do they occupy? Um, just how to how to get them more excited about native plants? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is where I love um, this confluence, this sort of trifecta of of work that the Theodore Payne Foundation is doing, because I think these are some of the frustrations when you just have any one of these branches, when you're just doing the education or you're just doing the seed or you're just doing the the plants themselves is that you then lose control of where are you sourcing from and where is it actually ending up and how is it being taken care of out there. And this is truly the genius model and you are sitting in a like incredibly powerful and important role in leading this new certification program because i think it, you know almost every conversation i have had in the last 5 years with professional horticultural people whether they're the head of botanic gardens or they are on the ground gardeners is that the maintenance of these spaces is specific and it's um, and it takes knowledge and skill. And it's not so knowledgeable and skillful that people can't learn it. It's just that they weren't taught it. And, and now it's becoming much more of the norm. And your program is leading the way in teaching maintenance crews how to care for native plants and native plant landscapes. And this is just a beautiful addition to the work that the foundation is doing. Alejandro, tell us about the California Native Plant Landscaper Certificate Program and how it's been rolled out these last few years. Yeah, I think it's a very important program. And, you know, the California Native Plant Landscaper Certification actually um, was developed a little bit before my time here. But um, with the pandemic, uh, things got stretched out a little. So it wasn't until the beginning of 2021 when we were able to do the first online offerings and then in 2022 doing it in person at their respective campuses and in the areas that they work but yeah the our landscaper certification it's an 18-hour job training meant to really get you know the sole proprietor the business owner you know the landscaper who has a desire to learn more about native plants it's really meant to get them excited about working with native plants providing knowledge to them so that they're able to care for native plant gardens, especially as we move towards that um, that kind of gardening or as we move towards native plant gardening as a solution to climate change, um, habitat degradation, biodiversity loss, you know, more and more people. And I've seen it firsthand uh, before my current role here at uh, as a horticulturist at TPF, I, I worked in the sales yard as a sales associate and then as the assistant sales manager for about two years. So the number one question we would get in the sales yard is, hey, do you know someone who can uh, manage or could maintain my native plant landscape? And, you know, the answer was a little finicky for a while until we, you know, revealed this program. And uh, more, more recently, our professional education portal, which is just a place for 
you know, students of this program or anyone wanting to join really, as long as they are a professional in this field or they're aspiring to uh, work in this field of landscaping, everyone has access to our professional education portal. But, you know, we have a job board on there for folks to post job uh, listings that they're wanting to advertise. They need a gardener to help them plant plants or maintain their landscape. Essentially, it's a program that's really meant to get folks excited and providing that knowledge, you know, and it's not to say that, you know, landscapers who are taking this class are just don't have that knowledge at all. They're just interested in learning more about native mm-hmm. plants. And yeah. uh, one one thing I've been saying, and um, the knowledge sometimes is dormant, you know, it's yeah, not to say I that they're, that. yeah, thank you. <laughs> Brenda says to, I'm going to coin that term. No, no. Yeah. I heard you present on this mm-hmm. at the California Native Plant Society's uh, mm-hmm. conservation conference. And I wrote that phrase down, Alejandro, because I think it's true of so many of us and we forget it about one another. And that grace of that understanding that it's in everybody, we just have to help kind of, I don't know, be a midwife or, or a shepherd it out of other people. And that's just a beautiful, beautiful concept. And I think, you know, not only remind me how many people have now gone through the program. Ooh, Evan, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think at this point, I think more than 400 landscapers have been certified. Yeah, I think that's the number I remember from your presentation. Mm-hmm. Well, I can absolutely hear the joy in your voice about the work you are doing and its many sort of levels of of impact, Alejandro. You know, Evan and Genevieve, if I were to throw that same kind of question out to you, what would you say your greatest joy in this work is? Let's start with you, Genevieve, and then go to Evan. That's a great question, Jennifer, and, and a tough one because there are so many aspects of this work that that bring joy. Um, I really, really like working closely with plants and seeds, and I'm very happy being in the field or being in the, the seed processing area and really looking at these things closely and thinking about how they, how that plant is living and how that plant is, you know, conducting its own life cycle and how seeds play into that and how each and every individual seed has so much that went into it uh, biologically. And that seed is then going to feed back into that cycle. And it's, um, you know, it's hard for me to say what the greatest joy is, so I'm going to say two, but one of them is simply working at a very micro level with the seeds and the plants and being immersed in that world brings yeah. me immense joy. And another thing that brings me joy is, you know, just to provide seed to people for their gardens. It's a very you know, it's very straightforward sounding, but it is a very deep joy to talk to someone and, you know, help them pick out the right seed for their project or their site, or, um, Mm. you know, know that we're sending out uh, seeds in the mail to people that are, you know, going to bring joy to those people. Um, Just providing seeds to the public is a great joy, brings me a lot of joy. Oh, thank you. That's great. And Evan, what about you? So I'm kind of thinking of, you know, native plants and bringing nature into the city as like this 
antidote to the craziness of living in Los Angeles because yeah. <laughs> it is a it is a crazy place to live. It's uh, that you know ability to slow down and just check out the flower that's blooming or or see the monarch um, caterpillars on your milkweeds or see the hummingbirds going around uh, the California fuchsias and to kind of leave the craziness behind. So that's, that's my first instinct, but I think that's actually not my favorite thing because I am a people person deep down. And I think the, the thing that's I'm most passionate about in, in my work and in the Europeans um, place in the, in the conversation of, of gardening and native plants is bringing people together and creating communities that are centered on sharing, centered on um, multicultural friendships that are about making the world better, um, not just for people, but for plants and animals and water and air. And, um, and thinking of those communities beyond just the, the human interactions to the interactions that you have with your garden and your garden has with the wildlife that visit it. So I would say it's community for me. That's really what, um, what I find most joyful and inspiring about the work that we get to do every day. Beautiful. Each one of you, if you have two or three plants or plant families, whether in seed form, in plant form, in flower form, I don't care what form, which, what, what are the three that you would not want to garden without this year? Not your favorites of all time, just the three that come to your mind immediately this year. Evan, let's start with you. Well, in the in the, uh, the mindset of local plants, I think using as many hyper-local things as possible is really fantastic for habitat and just for getting through the drought with tough plants that can stand these conditions. So I'm going to go three hyper-local species, white sage, salvia apiana, California buckwheat, Heriogonum fasciculatum, and coast live oak, Quercus agrifolia. Beautiful. Uh, Alejandro. Uh, for me, three plants. Um, I'd have to go with the very first native plant I learned out in the field, Artemisia californica. Uh, love it. Great coastal sage scrub plant, super fragrant, drought tolerant for gardens. Um, next, I would have to say the first plant I got into horticulturally, the salvia spathacea or hummingbird sage. Can't go wrong with that. It just mm. um, holds a special place in my heart. One of the first plants, or it was the first plant I bought from Theodore Payne. Um, and lastly, uh, the last plant I purchased here uh, to plant in my garden would uh, would be Erica Miria palmaria, a super interesting, uh, interesting genus that I'm nice. wanting to learn more about. I think really underutilized, and I hear it's a great pollinator plant for and has a late fall color. So I'm very excited about that one. Awesome. And Genevieve. One of my favorite plants and one that I am going to garden with this year is the soap plant, Chlorogalum palmaridianum. And that is a geophyte. That one forms a bulb, has these strap-like long leaves and sends out these beautiful shooting star white flowers in spring. And the second one would be the felt-leaved Yerba Santa, the Ariadictian crassifolium, for its uh, in very important role in the local uh, habitats and for just the beautiful leaves and the smell of the leaves. And the third one for me, one of this is one of my all-time favorite plants, would be black sage, Salvia mellifera. Mm. 
good plants, you people. You rounded up a nice like little community. Thank you all very much for being guests on the program today. It has been an honor to speak with you. Thanks so much for having us, Jennifer. Jennifer, thank you so much for having us today. It's been a delight. Thank you, Jennifer, for having us. It's, it's been an honor. The Theodore Payne Foundation in Southern California is a historic nonprofit conservation organization based on the traditional village of the Fernandino Tatavium Band of Mission Indians. The Theodore Payne Foundation's executive director is Evan Myers. Their long-standing seed and bulb conservation program manager is Genevieve Arnold. And Alejandro Lemus is one of their horticulturalists and California native plant land Landscaper Certificate Instructor. Speaking of plants and place, this week a tribute to one of the many great summer foods for all kinds of wildlife, including we humans, the sunny summer sunflower. Last week, Pat Reynolds of Heritage Growers referenced the regionally specific Bolander's sunflower, Helianthus bolanderi, also known as serpentine sunflower, a nod to its preferred location growing on California's state rock, the serpentine. In the genus Helianthus and the composite family Asteraceae, serpentine sunflower is described by Calscape and the Jepson herbarium as being native to California and Oregon, where it grows mainly in mountainous areas, often in serpentine soils. Like the common sunflower, Helianthus annuum, and many of the more than 50 species of the genus, all but a few of which are native to Central and North America, Helianthus bolanderi has a hairy, rough stem with leaves lance or oval-shaped, usually pointed, sometimes serrated along the edges. While some sunflowers have single, big flower heads, serpentine sunflowers have clusters of one or more flower heads, and each plant may have many flower clusters growing along the full length of the stem. The flower head, of course, that we know is a composite made up of both ray and disc flowers in each head. Each flower on these heads produces lots of nectar and pollen and then seed for foraging insects and birds. The akin, or shell, containing the seed that humans and birds love to crack open and eat is 3 to 5 millimeters long. Just this one sunflower, Helianthus bolanderi, is thought to be host to up to 32 different moths and butterflies, supporting their full life cycle in your habitat garden. With more than 50 species to choose from for your garden, wherever you may be across the U.S. and up into Canada, which sunflowers are native to your region and which ones of those are you going to invite into your summer garden fun? 
They take such little water, but they give lots of cheer, and in their colors, their visitors, and the long flowering time from late June and July to the very end of summer and early fall, you just can't go wrong. Let me know which sunflowers you choose and send us pictures. Join us again next week when the many joys of habitat gardening comes together around the 50th anniversary celebrations of the National Wildlife Federation's Garden for Wildlife Native Plant Gardening Initiative. It's 50 years old. Since 1973, more than 7 million people have gotten involved with the NWF's Garden for Wildlife Project. It is America's largest, longest-running movement dedicating to helping local wildlife and wild spaces thrive in this country. Is your garden certified? There is no time like the present. Listen in next week. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio, a service of CAP Radio licensed to Chico State Enterprises. Cultivating Place is made possible in part by listeners just like you through the support button at the top right-hand corner of every page at cultivatingplace.com. You, the listeners, literally make this program possible every week. Cultivating Place is also made possible through the generosity of the Caddo Shaw Foundation and through support from the Garden Conservancy. The Cultivating Place team includes producer and engineer Matt Fiddler with weekly tech and web support from Angel Haracha. We're based on the traditional and present homelands of the Machupta Indian tribe of the Chico Rancheria. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. <laughs>